Welcome to the Electric Monks Podcast. Episode 11, A Spoon Too Short. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Electric Monks Podcast. I'm Ed and with me are Dalek. Oh. Kane. Reporting in from the fourth dimension. <laughs> and Nemo. The voice of Australia. <laughs> well, that's a little bit presumptuous. There are like at least a couple of million other people in Australia, I think, as well. But it's not discounted. They're all fictional. The lies are true. They're all fictional. <laughs> Aren't you also fictional, Dom? I can neither confirm nor deny my imaginary friend status. Okay. So... Let's talk about real things now, for a change. Um, so we had some news uh, in the world of Dirt Gently uh, last week, which was a post on Twitter by Arvind Ethan David on uh, Free Comic Book Day. He released a short uh, one-page comic. It's just a couple of panels. Um, and it's set in the world of... Uh, it's the BBC America TV show. So you've got Dirk, Sam Barnett's version of Dirk, and Todd. It's, it features both of them just having a conversation uh, during a gay pride festival. The comic was originally written for uh, something called Love is Love, which I believe is to do with uh, LGBT and gay pride. Basically, uh, for whatever reason, I think because the comic's cancellation, he wasn't able to use the little story in the comic itself. So he sort of just released it a few years later. And it does make me wonder what else Arvind is sitting on as well. But uh, the comic is basically Todd asks Dirk about his sexuality. And Dirk, in response, says that he hasn't really thought about it before. Kisses Todd full on the lips. And then says, uh, still not sure. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just uh, sexually holistic. <laughs> or something like that. And for me, what makes it really is uh, Todd's reactions. Because Todd is initially quite surprised that Dirk kisses him full on the lips, like I said, but then his reaction to when Dirk said he gives his answer is like, you know, alright. So he's it's not because in a lot of um, just fiction in general, when you see the gay character and the straight character and when the gay character kisses the straight character, the straight character just sort of recoils and is like disgusted, like, don't kiss me, but I like that it sort of shows Dirk and Todd's relationship is a bit Stronger than that. What did you guys think? I actually felt the kiss without consent could have been problematic. They handled it well because of Todd's reaction uh, and, and the dynamic that those two have. So it wasn't an issue, but it, it felt like it had the potential of of being on that line of just like, what what is Dirk doing? He's going around kissing his companions without their consent and it's all sudden and surprising. But uh, in the context of, of the way it's all handled, yeah. It's good. Uh, I'm, I certainly enjoyed the idea that, that Dirk has just never given thought to his sexuality before, that it's it's outside his realm of caring. There's a subsection, a pretty significant subsection of the um, Dirk, the Dirk Gently community, are fans of the show, that they really believe in not just a Todd-Dirk bromance, but a full-on romance between the two. So they, they really love this this strip, which is not surprising. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's it, absolutely shipping fuel for you know, oh, high, yeah. high-quality shipping fuel. I, I don't really know. I think it's something that Dirk would probably do, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> 
I feel like this could fit in really nicely at the end of season two. To be honest, in the in the gently yeah, timeline, it's 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 an it's a a day in the life, not necessarily part of any specific larger story. It's but it's a moment of uh, self examination. There's that, and there's also Dirk still being somewhat clueless at the same time. Yeah, like well, I'm trying to maintain a positive outlook. Oh, you mean sexually? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, obviously that's gaving old English for happy. <laughs> Um, but I mean, is is Todd gay? Is Todd gay? Yeah, I don't think so because he has like they they tease like romance with Farrah, don't they? Yeah, Todd, Todd could be bi. I don't think it's ever specifically said that he's not. So um, I I don't think it's really relevant to this particular part. Of, despite what I said before, that the uh, non consensual kiss could come across as problematic, but. Uh, Clearly, they've got that sort of a friendship that's at that point that it's understood that, oh, that was Dirk being a bit inconsiderate, but that's Dirk's inconsiderate. That's just the way Dirk is. And Dirk wants to find out something. Well, let's try it out. Let's do it. And that's what he does. Put it in probably more Todd-like terms. Todd's just used to this shit by now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I really liked it. Um, I think it was a really nice treat as well because I think Arvin could have easily just said, oh, I'll save it for the big Kickstarter project I'm doing it, people pay for it. But no, he decided to uh, release it for free, which was, I think, really nice for the fans. So the main thing we're going to talk about today, you know, obviously going through, this is going to be the last one we do before we talk about BBC America 2016 show, which is uh, Spoon Too Short. Uh, so it's written by Alvin Deep and David. The art is by Ilias Siriosis. Colors by Charlie Kirkhoff. The letters were by Sean Lee and Robbie Robbins. Uh, the series edits were by Denton J. Tipton and Chi Reg Chung. And of course, it was executively produced by Max Landis, who's, of course, the uh, showrunner of the BBC America deck at the time. The chapters for it were released between February and July 2016. So almost uh, just under a year after um, the previous comic, which was Interconnecting the Civil Kings, which was sort of late 2015. What do you guys think of Spoon, of Spoon Too Short in, in general? Uh, in general, I thought it was definitely better than the last one. I wasn't really a fan of Kings, but uh, yeah, I, I like this one. Um, uh, it was quite short, shorter than Kings, I believe. Yeah, I think it's a couple of pages shorter. Um, did you was the can can you put your finger on any specific reasons why why you thought it was better, or did it just feel a little bit more polished? Yeah, it felt more polished. It felt like they had a better idea of what they wanted to do, um, and I know it was more engaging um, than the last one. What about you, Dalek? Personally, I thought the interconnectedness of all kings was just a tad bit better than Spoon Too Short. Part of it was the art style. I didn't. Well, one thing that really kind of got me was how absurdly long Dirk's hair was in some panels. <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> it's I mean, it's, it's so over the top. I it mean, just... I like that, but like, there's just no consistency with it. It'll be crazy long at one point, and then just the next panel, it'll be back to almost not even there sometimes 
But I think for some of the angles that they use, if they had the hair the same size, it would totally just block the shot half the time. <laughs> Which I, I agree, maybe that could have been funnier if they were a bit more consistent with it. But uh, as is, I, I sort of like the kind of amorphous quality to it, that it's just sort of all over the place. Yeah, it was chapter four, a couple pages in. I did like what they did with like having the flashback panels all stuffed inside the hair. That, that was oh, yeah. a pretty funny I one. I forgot about that almost. <laughs> I think that's a good point in terms of stylistically. There's a little bit more going on because in the sort of dream sequences slash flashbacks, they use a bit of a different style to the rest of the comic, especially the early ones when Dirk is a very young child. They do that sort of, they use this very sort of cutesy Sunday funnies kind of style. And then when it cuts to sort of Dirk waking up, in that very first chapter, they've got more of a, a little bit more defined style with a bit more, where, where things look a little, little bit less silly, a little bit less like a cartoon. I think they definitely refined the style that they had from King's, in my opinion. I enjoyed Spoon uh, quite a bit more than King's. Uh, I'm, I'm coming from a place where I don't really read comics, and I found King's reminded me of why comics don't work for me. The not enough words to tickle my novel reading not enough pictures to tickle my tv watching styles uh but for whatever reason spoon worked a lot better uh it just it felt like it flowed it felt like there was enough density of information that it was uh and the story was interesting enough that it all hooked me in and carried me forward it uh i never felt like it was a chore to read i agree with that so, sorry dark looks that you're outnumbered for your three to one <laughs> but <laughs> so shall we just uh dive right in then um to chapter one so here's the synopsis for it. And by the way, you can buy these comics off of iBooks. I think they're around £8, but don't quote me on that. And then you can also buy physical copies as back issues off of IDW's website. Failing all else, you can probably pick these up on eBay fairly cheap. So chapter one, something nasty in the woods head. Set some time after the events of The Long Dark Two Time of the Soul, Dirk is summoned on Halloween to the Woodshead Hospital by Nurse Sally Mills to investigate the Kingdom Browns, a Hampshire family who have lost all ability to communicate after a holiday abroad. Finding no further leads, Dirk follows Assistant Professor Tamasha Taji Travers at random, who it transpires is looking for Dirk to hire him on a case to meet the Tribe Without Words in Kenya. Exactly the same place that it happens the Kingdom Browns visited. So, right off the bat, and we already talked a little bit about this, that um, Dirk is completely different, pretty much, to the Dirk that we met in Interconnectedness of All Kings. Uh, he's got massive hair for a start. His personality is, is a little bit different. I, I, th I think you could probably get away with saying, oh, this is the same character, but a bit earlier. Uh, but I'm not sure. He feels a little... Uh, last time, Nima, you were pointing out some of the differences between comic Dirk and uh, book Dirk, whereas here I feel he's a little bit closer to book Dirk, at least. And the tone of the comic is also very different, and I think part of that is not just the lighting and the sort of shading, but uh, also... I think having Dirk as the narrator so that makes it feel a little bit different. Whereas in Kings, we didn't have a narrator; we just saw what was going on all the time. But I do, I, I personally do like having these sort of little bits of Dirk as a narrator that sort of helps helps us get into his head a little bit more. What about you guys? What do you think of our new Dirk? 
I do find it interesting that you mentioned that he seemed a bit different because he is technically speaking, judging off of the little like previously statement in chapter one, it is the same Dirk seemingly a couple years earlier because there's the whole statement of this case takes place after the novel Long Dark D Time of the Soul and before the events in the interconnectedness of all kings and the upcoming TV series. Yeah, so it it feels to me like at this point they initially sort of planned for this all to be part of the same continuity, and I wonder if they started doing drawing this before they cast uh, Sam Barnett as Dirk, maybe as well, because uh, obviously with Kings they had to just make it up, um, and it couldn't really be this the, in the same world as the TV show because the TV show wasn't anywhere near to finished yet. Whereas here they're 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 sort of trying to hint that this all takes place in in the same universe. And I think it's later that they sort of effectively kind of made Kings non-canon and then said, right, the comics are separate universe to that of the show. And that's something that they explore a bit in a lot more detail in uh, Salmon and Out as well. For myself, I see this Dirk as very much following on from the books. It's There's... Uh, I'm sure there'd be inconsistencies if you look hard enough, but overall it, he felt very, very books-like. Uh, but visually he's portrayed as quite differently to how it's described in the book. So there's differences there uh, and there's references to uh, the BBC4 TV series. Uh, he drives a uh, Austin Princess, uh, his vehicle, which was the vehicle that uh, Stephen Mangan's Dirk drove. Uh, yeah, different colour. Austin uh, but, Princess. It's but a slightly yeah, they, different colour. They were, I think, uh, Mangan's was sort of maroon, whereas this one's brown. Yeah. So this one's brown or yellowy brown, but it's also seen at night in the one. I think it's only seen in the one shot. A couple yeah, of times. Yeah, drives to Woodshead to meet. Yes. Sally. Yeah. Uh, but so there's references to all previous Dirks there. Uh, so you could argue that this is its its own Dirk. But I think saying th this is Book Dirk or a very close version of Book Dirk, uh, whereas by the time we get to the BBC America series, we're getting to a, a very different Dirk. Um, but I don't see this as invalidating or making non-canon the uh, interconnectedness of all kings. That's, that's just a later Dirk than this Dirk. Uh, that's this Dirk later on. He's had you know, a few haircut, more experiences, yeah. <laughs> a few more experiences, a haircut, you know, life experiences, and so attitudes. And he's got the yellow jacket as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even the way that, he's dressed reminds me a little bit more of uh, BBC Four Dirk than it, or, or, or Dirk in the books actually, uh, compared to um, the obviously the yellow jacket we saw in the previous comic, and eventually see in the uh, the sort of clothes that Sam Barnett Dirk ends up wearing. Yeah, but between them, it feels like the comics are trying to straddle that line of referencing the books and referencing BBC Four TV and referencing future referencing what is going to show up in BBC America series, but not close enough that you can definitively say, well, this is that Dirk from that other version of Dirk Gently. It's its own thing without being unaware of the other things. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way of uh, putting it. So, other things to talk about in this part, we have, um, speaking of elements from the books and stuff, we have the return of uh, Sally Mills. What do you guys think of uh, Sally Mills? Obviously, she's a little bit of a, a bit part player in uh, this comic, but uh, then later in Sam and Out, she pops up again and has a much more central role 
in terms of being Dirk's sort of more main companion in that story. Uh, what did you guys think about uh, her reintroduction here from the books? Yeah, uh, Sally is the, is the nurse, right? So we're talking yeah. about Simpson. This was my first introduction to her. Um, yeah, she, she was an okay character. There wasn't really enough time to get to know her. Um, yeah. So I wish she had some more screen time, if you can say that in a comic. Um, she felt bland, uh, but that's because you didn't really see much of her. Yeah, she really only shows up in this first chapter to sort of get Dirk started on the case. And then uh, there's another bit a bit later where she helps out whilst Dirk travels over to uh, Kenya in Africa. Yeah. That but you never sort of... really get to know her. Um... We, we didn't really get to know her that much in... Uh, long dark tea time either because she basically only had two scenes in that book uh with dirk yeah i I personally i really like to um even though we only get a little bit of her here i I do like early on when she makes a comment about uh i think it dirk's weight Uh, she says have you put on weight don't detectives have to stay in shape and then dirk says weight is relative sally's like no it's not (laughs) and dirk explains a bit further uh that about uh that he's on a holistic diet which means that everything is connected. If everything is connected, which it is, then all food is connected. Therefore, eating anything at all means that, in some sense, you are eating everything. Therefore, selective eating is a waste of time. <laughs> so he's just trying to justify uh, you know, his habit of just eating pizza all the time and stuff like that. Because I think even when he wakes up, we see a little bit of his apartment and he's got like, a pizza box on the floor and stuff like that. <laughs> I just wanted to say with uh, with Sally Mills there that there's, despite her having a very small role in uh, Long Dark Tea Time and also a small role here, they are connected in that uh, she fixes Dirk's broken nose in both cases and, and specifically calls that out as it's just like old times. And Dirk responds, I hate old times uh, with his broken nose. And so I can see where without the familiarity of, of despite being a small role in the book that revisiting uh, Sally Mills does create a depth and a extra interconnectedness between uh, the different Dirks and the different mediums. Uh, so that might, that might be an extra depth that was intended that's not seen if you're uh, for readers that haven't read the books and uh, are coming straight to this. Just the last thing in terms of talking points for this chapter, the uh, portrayal of the uh, communication loss using the, uh, empty speech bubbles for me i thought that was really that was really quite well done to be honest a sort of because initially when i saw that i thought oh no is there something wrong with this digital copy that i got here they just not filled in a bit and then then suddenly they realized like oh no they can't hear them either so <laughs> and I, I i thought it was uh, quite clever i'm not really sure how they could have done it in another way really that's something that i've only actually ever seen one other time in another comic, presumably. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've always liked it when they do things like that. I I really enjoyed it as well, and and it's one of those things where, as uh, as Dalek said, I it uses the comic medium really well, and I can't imagine this could have been done as well in either novel or TV form, and maybe that's part of why this story I enjoyed reading so much was that it was using uh, comic book possibilities in its storytelling in ways that uh, uh, really leverage the, the power of that combination of words and pictures on the one page. Uh, yeah. That, that w- words alone or pictures alone with audio 
would be much much more difficult to really get that impact across. Whereas here it was, it visually dominated the piece. These big white speech bubbles that, mm-hmm. by years worth of uh, of instinctual comic trope reading, you expect to be full of words or symbols or something, and it's just not. And it's it's off putting. Yeah, and I really like the whole idea of uh, someone's communication being taken away, and that being the sort of start of, of of the case and i feel like that's another strength that this story has over something like kings where it's oh there's mummies and serial killers and whereas this is something a little bit more much more original in my opinion uh and, and a bit more far out there which i think works in the, the story's favor let's move on chapter two the tribe with no words Dirk and Tamasha fly to Kenya, where Dirk seeks out an African scientist named Dr. Madluck Biggin. Madluck and Dirk do not get off on the right foot, but Tamasha and Madluck do, as Madluck explains that he's attempting to fight animal poachers. Specifically, he's focused on saving the rhinoceroses, who are being hunted for their horns. On their way to the Kwanza village, they meet a group of elephants. Dirk gets the leader of the herd, Big Mama Moasa to draw in his notebook, giving him a vital clue, which Dirk believes has cracked the case. So first thing I want to talk about is the introduction of Dr. Madluck, who sort of the completes the trio of Dirk and the two companions in the meat of this story. Um, so we get, we get an introduction to him. We get the murder of uh, Sid the Rhino, which is surprisingly quite brutal, actually. And sort of we can see how it's sort of affects Madlock and it's sort of it really sets out uh, why he's doing this as well right from the get-go and as well as that we get Madlock's sort of perspective on why it keeps happening he talks about this sort of worldwide interconnected sort of you know cycle that causes poaching to happen and it's it's, it's a really interesting not just a way of explaining sort of how holistic interconnected this kind of works, but also it's sort of explaining the story's sort of political leanings. And I think there's a tendency for that to get quite preachy, but they do cleverly sort of link in with Dirk's philosophy. So it doesn't feel like, oh, this is just Arvind insulting people all around the world, basically, for causing poaching. There is an element that, but it's more, but it's also showing... Dirk's sort of philosophy in action. On some points, you got okay. Am I? Is this propaganda or is this a comic for entertainment? But it's an important thing, and I mean, if people learn more about this, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, they did it in a in a good way. Uh, it didn't distract too much. Yeah, I it thought it was quite a bit uh... better. It it could have been a bit better, but it wasn't too bad. It's to me. It was one of those things where you could have told the story without that detail, but it would have felt very simplistic and a, a very simple surface story. And this sort of, uh, while it was political, and maybe a bit preachy, it gave the story depth. And it was also something that was very close and dear to Douglas's own heart. And absolutely, that also gives it depth. Uh, it, in the way that it links back to real-world concerns that concern uh, Rhino still and also concern Douglas uh, personally and was one of his great uh, environmental passions when he was still alive. Yeah, and he even wrote, wrote about it in uh, Last Chance to See You, too, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, uh, so, so having, having that there gives it depth and complexity in a way that I really appreciated. 
it doesn't doesn't hurt that that I generally agree to. <laughs> yeah, at the very end of the comic, we even get um, a sort of endorsement from uh, Save the Rhino, and uh, obviously, if you pay, if you look in the panel where Madle- Madle- well, the panels where Madlex introduced, uh, sort of leaning over Sid's uh, murdered corpse. You see, one of the people he's working with has got the uh, Save the Rhino badge on their shoulder, and uh, so why did I laugh there? That's not funny. <laughs> um, I was just laughing because Dalek just said in chat that he'd fallen asleep. <laughs> that literally became a matter of I fell asleep for probably less than five lines, and like woke back up and I couldn't tell you we were talking about the same topic. <laughs> That that, that uh, is in, very dirt gently though. <laughs> one in, thing, one minute, and another thing, another. In Dalek's defence, uh, I should say that we're recording this from all around the world. So let's let our listeners know what time zones we are all in. Because for me, at the time of right now, it's just coming up on seven pm. But for Dalek, I believe it's three am in the morning. Uh, it's coming up on four. Four am. Yeah, I'm off I now. Put Dalek through the ringer. It's, it's uh, nearly 10 at the moment, and I think it's nearly 11 where Kane is. Yep. So. And that's in the morning for you guys. Yeah, AM. Yep. So anyway, what do you guys feel about the portrayal of uh, Africa in this? Because does it feel more like the sort of idealized Africa that you might see in, say, like The Lion King? Or does it feel a little bit more, slightly more gritty and... Uh, Definitely more gritty and more of a grim portrayal, I would say. Yeah, especially that intro with Sid being murdered, which, like I said, was was quite brutal. And it, it sort of starts off quite funny with we get a sort of internal monologue from Sid about, you know, the other rhinos where he's like, oh, where are they all gone? And he's like, oh, well, I don't care cause, too much because I never liked them anyway. And Sid's a bit of a loner. And then... Yeah. And the whole, like, four panels of it's dusk, it's still dusk. Yeah, <laughs> it's still du- no. Wait, no, it's night now. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I really like these sort of the, the occasion getting that sort of insight from the rhinos as uh, to sort of break up the story slightly. So let's go on to chapter three. Poached brackets like a salmon. Tamasha and Madlek are skeptical about the abstract sketch Dirk has returned with. Dirk has a hunch that the elephant has seen the communication thieves and has drawn out a picture of them for him. But Bad Luck isn't having any of it, and he and Tamasha kick Dirk out of the car in order to have some privacy. Dirk, however, quickly finds the mute tribe members. Back in London, Sally, with the help of cellist Susan McDuff, discovers that the Kingdom Browns are still able to sing if music is played. Sally phones up Dirk to tell him this, and he's able to replicate this success with the Nakawa tribe that he went to see. Dirk suggests to Mad Luck that the communication thieves are connected with the murder of Sid the Rhino, but Madlek dismisses this because he already knows that rich tourists killed Sid in exchange for the safeguarding of other rhinos, and poachers took advantage of the loophole to take Sid's horn. Dirk can't help Madlek with the poachers, but he does figure out a way to catch the communication thieves. So, we got another uh, character returning. This is from uh, the first book, now, actually. It's uh, Susan Way, although this time she returns as uh, Susan McDuff. And that... To me, the fact that she does get together with Richard McDuff from the first book, obviously because they were, you know, going out in the um, in the first book, and it's interesting because if you compare this to the radio series for Long Dark Tea Time, 
which uh, includes uh, Richard McDuff in that he mentions that him and Susan have broken up since uh, Gordon Way died and Susan took control of uh, Way Forward Technologies, the computer company. So in the radio series, they are, they obviously they spill up, but here they tie the knot and do get married. So I think it's interesting that we have two very different interpretations of how that relationship ends up going. In terms of her actual role on the court, obviously it's, it's just a small one scene thing where she plays the cello to help. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really cool that they managed to fit here. I, I remember reading an interview with Arvind uh, roughly at the time where he sort of mentioned, oh, it was really cool that I could actually get Susan Way uh, to appear in the comics because obviously Arvind wrote a whole play about the first book that does feature Susan in it. So uh, it's obviously it's sort of a deep personal connection to sort of work one of those uh, characters from that in there. But it's, it's a little bit of a shame we, we don't see Dirk interact with, with her again, because I thought that would be kind of interesting. But still, uh, it's kind of cool that Dirk has this network of previous companions that uh, to like Sally has Susan's number and just phone her up whenever she needs her. <laughs> Should we talk about the moral dilemma for Madluck? The way that Madluck uh, explains it is that it's a bit like uh, salmon. You don't get attached to individual salmon. The priority is survival of the species. And so he sort of opens up about what you, I think he calls it like it's the dark side of uh, animal preservation that occasionally you can make a deal with basically selling licenses to kill. Yeah, rich, rich tourists and hunters to basically sacrifice one rider in exchange for safeguarding several others yeah i, I thought that was an interesting element that, that adds a bit of uh, moral ambiguity and uh, madlock even admits yeah i like sid but um, in my job i have to ensure that you know the most rhinos survive and if that means i have to sacrifice sid then uh, so be it but of course he's still upset about being you know it happening in an underhand way that he didn't intend that you know was illegal basically Adds a little bit of depth to Madlock's character, I felt. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it's not only depth to his character, but it's coming back to the uh, the discussion of, of this as a uh, political issue that's raised in the comics and pointing out that it's it's a complex issue. And while it's easy as a um, as with the case of a lot of political things to armchair analyze and think that you've got simple solutions, that there are unintended consequences and that there can be solutions that are long-term better but are really problematic in short doses when you look at it. And selling a license to kill an endangered animal feels so wrong, but if it's going to save the species in the long term, isn't that better? And it's a difficult question to answer. And I'm glad I'm not a person that has to, that's in a position to have to make those judgments myself because I would not want to do it. I can see the argument that you don't open the door to those type of things, that's every step to hell. But I can see the argument that if it's going to have a better result in the long run, you do open that door. Uh, so it, it's, it's again, it's one of those things. It gives the story depth and, and meatiness to it, as it were. Uh, maybe meatiness is exactly the wrong word. Yeah. And it's, a, it's almost the total contrast to Dirk himself and sort of his case, which is, uh, in fact, there's even the, the scene in this chapter, I think, where... We get a sort of monologue from Madlock where he's talking about how you know difficult and harrowing his situation is, and then suddenly he gets a phone call from Dirk, and Dirk is 
playing Hakuna Matata from The Lion King to all these uh, African villagers, and he's like, are you mocking me? <laughs> and then even when Amalek is explaining his sort of the whole uh, animal license thing, he says, um, Dirk says, Look, I, don't know, I don't know how to help you because it's just not my sort of area. It's a horrible situation, but, you know, you're a hero for even just trying. I do like that whole scene, actually, because, um, again, like you say, Nemo, it sort of shows that it is it isn't just as simple as well, well of course you can just protect the rhino using you know laws to sort of make poaching illegal because you know that people will find loopholes and it, it's not as simple as that so chapter four stake out dirk is able to trick tamasha and madluck into having sex this in turn attracts two alien beings from the fourth dimension Dirk then strategically deploys a group of musicians he had requested for earlier to trap the aliens, because music is effectively a wall which they can't get through. Dirk admits to Tamasha and Madluck that he used them as bait. Madluck is embarrassed for sleeping with a guest in his country, but Tamasha is fine with what happened. So this is where the story starts to get a little bit crazy. You can tell by the sort of short description there that most of this is sort of action, I guess. Um... And it's also uh, the first sex scene that we get in a Dirk Gently comic. What did you guys think? I thought it was fairly tastefully done and also quite funny. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen a sex scene in a comic before, so I can't really compare it to anything. But yeah, I agree. It was quite tasteful. Um, and it had a purpose as well. It didn't feel voyeuristic, I think. Well, at least not too voyeuristic. The comic as a whole... They could have found a better thing to use than just resorting to sex, you know? It feels like a kind of like, eh, we'll throw that in there as a reason, why not? And then they've shaped that around that to make a reason for it. It's something I kind of wanted to mention when we were talking about chapter one and the nurse and all that. But like, I felt it'd fit better here considering the actual scene. Like they they just put a lot more explicit content that was in than the, what was in uh, Kings, and I just don't see the point of it. Mm. It feels like they just wanted to draw a sex scene and then gave a reason for it later, as opposed. To... I guess you're referring to the beginning where Sally, it's Halloween, and Sally is dressed as as a sexy nurse. I did, I did like the line Sally gave where it's sort of like, well, actually, it's I'm a nurse who just happens to be sexy so it's kind of ironic <laughs> yeah i like that line as well yeah i can i can kind of see where you're coming from for me it's it doesn't bother me as much my problem is more that it it's not explained too clearly how dirk figured out that the aliens were attracted by sex does dirk ever need a reason to do anything well no not really but uh I, I guess it could have been anything. It could have been less, oh, they're attracted by people like picking their nose or, or something weird like that. I don't know, but uh, maybe that would have been even more gross. But for me, the, the sex scene itself, I didn't have a problem with. The way that it was portrayed, I thought, seemed tasteful enough. But I had a really big problem with the way that it was set up with Dirk feeding them aphrodisiac. That undermines the whole moral point that they were making earlier that you don't kill animals just for aphrodisiac because that's kind of stupid and then suddenly dirk's going oh have some oyster have some lobster have some uh, oh but they're like sea animals they don't matter <laughs> <It's> like, like, 
them. <laughs> Over the course of a single page, he's feeding them all of these foods that in Western culture are considered to be aphrodisiacs and they're not endangered animals or case of asparagus uh, plants. And so nobody has a problem with it. But conceptually, it strikes me as exactly the same problem as rhino horns. It's, it's aphrodisiac because culturally we've decided it is. And the rest of the story is saying, you, you don't kill rhinos for aphrodisiac. That's stupid. Of course, it's not an aphrodisiac. And yet here we've got a major plot point, a, a plot pivot point that relies on Dirk using animals as aphrodisiac. And that didn't ring well with me at all. That felt like a major misstep in the that setup. The, the sex as a scene and the aliens being attracted by sex, none of that bothered me. It was just purely this one, let's use aphrodisiac to get those two together. And from a plot expediency point, well, it did the job. But uh, yeah, I, I wish the authors had found another way to do that. Now that, now that I think about it, you're, you're right, that is incredibly inconsistent with the message of the comic and the only reason i haven't thought about it much before is because they don't dwell on the fact that it's like lobsters and stuff that he's feeding them yeah it's it's incidental and his dirk's words through that whole scene is, uh getting them to talk about each other uh obviously he's trying to get them interested in each other he specifically makes a point of uh you know, how about you mad like assuming for a moment that you were in fact once a heavily muscled child uh, you know, he's <laughs> He's emphasising that Madluck's quite a good-looking guy, and you know, wanting to wanting to emphasise these points. Uh, he mentions uh, very shortly after about loyalty and you know, honour, and you know, he's he's trying to make them attractive to each other, and that's exactly what was the right way to go about that. It's just the, the oysters and the lobsters, and yeah, as aphrodisiacs. So that's that's the only bit. Yeah. There is one thing that is sort of interesting that Dirk sort of mentions, which I guess is leading in with the uh, the tr the uh, childhood um, flashback sort of thing that we see just before this, which we'll talk about them afterwards. But um, when they ask him, like, oh, what did you want to be, Dirk, when you were a kid? He says, I just want to be, I want to actually be a child, which is sort of implying that he didn't really get to have proper kind of childhood, which I think is interesting that they have him acknowledge that. Shall we go to the last part now? Chapter 5, Stakeout, Life on Mars. So it's also called Stakeout again, but they have Life on Mars. Um, it seems like they could have just called it Life on Mars, but, you know, live and let live. I mean, what's the Stakeout part? I guess it's continuing on directly from the, them having captured the aliens, which is part of the Stakeout sequence. I don't know. But um, Dirk asks the aliens why they stole people's voices and ability to communicate. They confirmed that they're from a neighbouring fourth dimension and answered that they love music and sex and removing people's ability to communicate acts as an aphrodisiac for them. Dirk and Tamasha conclude that the aliens weren't able to completely remove people's ability to understand music, so music will allow the Nakawa tribe and the King of Browns to heal and communicate again. Dirk strikes a deal with the aliens, but they are released under the condition that they cease their poaching. The aliens leave their dimension via the nose of rhinoceros. Dirk goes back to London whilst Tamasha stays behind in Kenya with Madluck. Dirk meets up with Sally again at the zoo and, purely out of curiosity, goes inside the inner lining of a rhinoceros's nose, disappearing completely. Should we talk about portrayal of the aliens? Because we saw them a little bit in the last part, but they're more explored in uh, in this part. Uh, what did you guys think 
into not just the visual style, but sort of them as uh, characters. I, th- I thought the characters were definitely better done than in Kings, for sure. But are they aliens? Do they count as aliens? They're not from another planet. Well, they're alien to our dimension. Yeah, we're not sure what they are, and they probably fit in more to their own dimension where everything is like music and stuff or whatever. Seems like they come from nature. Everything is expressed through kind of noise because I think it's the noise of lovemaking that attracts them or something, and the noise of music that sort of traps them in. They definitely, it definitely seems to be that's a constant in their world. As characters, they're slightly villainous in that they you know enjoy taking people's ability to communicate away because it turns them on basically. But they sort of have them back down and sort of like they're they're more mischievous and, and sort of playful but not, like, overly malicious, I think. They served a plot purpose. Visually, I thought they were very interesting, to be honest. Uh, Character-wise, um, yeah, slightly mischievous. They they weren't, as as I was said, they're not villainous. Uh, uh, maybe mistaken even would be a, a way to describe them as... Uh, by the time they're captured, they basically admit that they've already kind of had their fun and were looking to move on and... Uh, are perfectly happy to do so and you wonder if they've really learnt or whether they're just going to go and uh, poach some other dimensions something that uh, thrills them uh, or whether they've genuinely learnt and won't be doing uh, poaching in the future uh, That's yeah. th- that felt unanswered and it would have made it uh, I think it would have made it a little bit more satisfying if that had been answered but it would have been a, a more complex point to uh, get through here I think if they are undercharacterized, then that's because they are the sort of, I guess there's a sort of twist reveal of them being the, it's sort of a twist reveal, especially the first time you read this, I guess. But um, I was sort of personally okay that the story didn't focus on them that much and where they came from, that that was sort of, they left just enough up to the kind of audience so we didn't have to describe everything about how the fourth dimension works and get too bogged down in that. I will say, like, the way that they just kind of said, yeah, alright, thanks from another dimension, that felt very, very much like Douglas to me. Yeah, I can see that. that that's definitely something Douglas would do, would just be, like, introduce an interdimensional being and then just have a casual conversation. Finally, for the main story, let's talk about the, end, the ending for our characters. Did it feel satisfying? All, pretty much all the loose ends tied up, or did you like the sort of it ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger uh, with not just uh, disappearing into the rhinos, rhinos which is just, just for a nice little trippy ending because I don't think it really has any kind of consequences. It's not like he gets stuck in the rhino or anything. But he sort of peeks into... It's weird, they have, the, they have that sort of artwork of him peeking into the comic itself, which I thought was a nice little... It's almost kind of a meta kind of gag him looking at uh, the sort of dream sequence, the final little dream sequence flashback. And it's sort of tying in with the, uh, obviously the then imminent uh, TV show. I very much liked the, uh, that meta uh, looking into the comic. And the dream sequence isn't something we've talked about yet. There are introductions. We're just about to do that, yeah. But yeah, yeah that was, I was kind of leading into that, that there are introductions to each issue, uh, just a, a couple of pages. Uh, and... I always enjoy self-referential meta-humour, so I really like that bit. Uh, just before that, where Dirk disappears into the uh, rhino's nostril, that's that felt 
almost but not quite Douglas Adams-ish to me. I I can easily imagine that if that had been written or or if there had been a comic that immediately continued this, that would not be explained. You'd leave that as where where, uh, Dirk went, what he saw, how he got back to our dimension, if indeed it was another dimension or whatever. That's not important. That's a story that doesn't get told. We just continue on yeah. with the rest, and and that would be okay. Salmon it out never mentions it at all. They almost act like it never happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and so I'm I'm okay with that. I I don't think absolutely every loose end needs to be wrapped up, and indeed this is a loose end that's created on the final page. Uh, it's it's a loose end that's created for the purpose of being a loose end, arguably, uh, and, and it introduces some interesting questions of. Is uh, is a rhinoceros's nostril or nasal passages uh, explicitly a entrance, a portal to the fourth dimension or, or to a, a higher dimensions where these aliens came from? Uh, we saw them disappear into the rhino's nostrils. Was that why, uh, or is it a coincidence? Don't know. As for the uh, the main actual story in terms of. Um... Uh, Tamasha stays behind to to help Madlurk. That that, that makes sense. It, that she didn't really have a reason to hang around Dirk after the uh, case was finished. So, um, and the Kingdom Browns and the uh, Nakawa tribe uh, both uh, recover, make full recoveries, basically. Uh, so, so yeah, I like that. that. It definitely felt like a more satisfying ending to me than the ending of Interconnectedness of All Kings. Even with the Dirk randomly going into the Rhino. Like you say, it's just it was just it's a little fun and it's kind of meta humor as well. Okay, so the comic is peppered with dream sequences which usually we just get a bit of the start of the comic, uh, the start of the issue, and then it goes into the main story that we've been talking about. But there are a couple of times where we get a bit of the beginning and then we get bit at the end the first one we get in the first chapter is the the great treehouse adventure in which dirk's treehouse game of poker is attacked by three kids who sort of tie him up and take him prisoner i've written here that these uh could these be the rowdy three i think the uh the overall art style the, the choice of colors and everything says kind of sunday comics or um uh, older your 1960s or 70s I, I don't really know my comics even the, col- the colors as well are quite, yeah uh, yeah yeah the, the colors and the, the printing style is just feels like from an older generation of comics it's an it's an older story that's being told yeah um shall we go into the next one so the next one is 30 years ago the smarter side of transylvania in which Baby Dirk wanders through a castle looking for his parents, and it's delighted to find a group of vampire bats, which he identifies as Papa. So, because uh, you were asking me about this, Kane, uh, if yeah. Dirk was a vampire, and for me, this the implication here seems to be that Dirk is at most only half vampire, and that maybe his dad was a vampire, because his father is the character we know literally nothing about at all in any kind of media. He's always he's always this sort of mysteriously absent kind of character. And it would make sense if the reason for his absence is because he's a vampire. Yeah. It, I think it even says in the book in the book, I think the the sort of a fit of the version of the story that Dirk tells is that he's originally from 
the smarter side of Transylvania. Yeah, so it was in uh, Chapter 6 of Dirk Gently's uh, Listed Detective Agency. Uh, the tales had to do with the psychic powers that he'd supposedly inherited from his mother's side of the family, who he claimed had lived at the smarter end of Transylvania. That is to say, he didn't make any such claims at all and said it was the most absurd nonsense. He strenuously denied that there were bats of any kind at all in his family and threatened to sue anybody who put about such malicious fabrications. But he affected, nevertheless, to wear a large and flappy leather coat and had one of those machines in his room, which are supposed to help cure bad backs if you hang upside down from them. He would allow people to discover him hanging from this machine at all kind of odd hours of the day, and more particularly of the night, expressly so that he could vigorously deny that it had any significance whatsoever. That was always like one of my favorite little just ridiculous lines, and I never caught on to the implication of that. <laughs> like when they first said bats, I I initially just thought they meant crazy people. <laughs> and then oh, like now, old now with all the context in it, I'm like, okay, well, um, that was unexpected. Third dream sequences. United States military base 15 years ago. So Colonel Riggins tries to understand Dirk's powers by using a machine, spinning him around in a circle, blindfolded, surrounded by TV screens. Dirk can only come up with 9-11. Later, a terrorist attack on the Twin Towers happens on September 11th, 2001. Dirk wonders if he could have stopped it, but Riggins promises to learn to, learn to listen better and use Dirk's gift properly in future. Spoilers, he doesn't. <laughs> so... A um, little bit controversial using a, a real-life terrorist attack and sort of having Dirk unintentionally predict it. Did you feel like this was um, tasteful? Yeah, I didn't have a, a problem with uh, that reference. Uh, was tying into the BBC America TV series that uh, clearly they'd started thinking about uh, fairly heavily. Uh, just looking at the... Uh, screen with the panels uh, with all of the tv screens around and one of those has a uh, newspaper edgar spring recluse or revolutionary ah i'd missed that i so had i until literally just a moment ago i will say it's a very well executed here like with the complete misunderstanding of it where because like this is one of those really weird things where the panels are actually meant to be read in the spiral pattern. Yeah, it sort of adds that sort of dizzying kind of feeling as Dirk gets, keeps getting spun around. There's that, and he's protesting all the way, and then like the realization and the vision hits him, and he says nine one one, and the general is just like, "No emergencies, no safe words." Another very subtle and uh, I don't think intended. Uh, link to 9-11 uh, was that Douglas, of course, died in May of 2001, yeah. but his memorial service in the UK was held in St. Martin's in the Fields Church, Trafalgar Square, on September 17, 2001. Yeah, a week after Lit 9 -11. Literally a week after. And so the, um, that service was webcast on the internet, and I believe it was one of the first, if not the first, uh, service of that kind to be webcast and it's entirely on the internet uh, by the BBC. Uh, the uh, real player stream is about an hour and a half and fits in something like 70 meg. I've got a copy of it. It's really, really painfully 
low quality uh, by today's standards. Uh, but the important point being that because this was September 17, 2001, only uh, less than a week after the attacks, uh, this was the first chance for uh, a church service in the UK. Um, and so that coloured the, the entire memorial service, that a lot of people had come out grieving for these attacks in America, even though they were there for Douglas's memorial. Uh, so that's a, it's a link to Douglas's life, uh, an obscure uh, link perhaps, uh, and one that uh, I'm, I'm only aware of because I happen to come across the details of this memorial service some time ago and spent some time tracking down uh, the real player stream so that I could watch it, uh, spend an hour and a half watching a, a 200 by 300 pixel or something <laughs> ridiculously low quality uh, uh, just so that I could watch uh, David Gilmore play uh, at the memorial service and Sure, it was either the priest or, or somebody there saying, you know, Douglas would have had something to say. He would have had something to help heal people, and it's such a shame that he's not here. Yeah. So, uh, so, so to link that to Dirk, uh, presciently being aware of the attacks in some obscure form, uh, that resonates with me. I, um, I, I didn't feel it was inappropriate to have that uh, in the comic. Shall we move on to the last two? So we get... Number four is uh, Teenage Dirk, now back in the UK, is sent to prison after accusations of cheating at St. Seds College, Cambridge. The familiar tale of Dirk's sleep-talking and constantly denying his psychic is recounted by Dirk whilst he lays in his cell. Riggin shows up to try and persuade Dirk to return to Blackwing. Dirk is having none of it and antagonizes Riggin. So pretty much everything until Riggin shows up is from the book. Uh, obviously we don't, you know, that we actually see the police officer taking him in and he's covered in, I think, flour. Uh, I hope that's flour and not like cocaine or something. <laughs> um, what interests me about this one is that it's Riggins showing up in the UK. It's because we know Dirk escapes from Blackwing in around, I guess, sometime after the uh, 2001, uh, the previous uh dream sequence that we saw and then he shows up again in, in England looking for Dirk and that to me feels slightly contradictory to the show because the show sort of implied that he didn't go back to England to look for him yeah what, what do you think of uh, this fourth one then it was, it, it was a good retelling of the whole Cambridge incident and sort of tying it into the show uh, yeah it was nice to see that visual way that bringing Colonel Riggins in at the end, as you say, maybe that's a little bit awkward. Uh, it doesn't quite mesh up and it it feels like they were aiming to bring elements of uh, Book, um, Dirk, and Link, create, create ties through the comic to the upcoming TV Dirk. Uh, and TV Dirk ended up being quite different and in retrospect, putting the, that effort into these comics uh, Almost feels like it was wasted effort, but I appreciate it nonetheless. It's this is a different version of Dirk. Uh, this version of Dirk did happen to have both of those links, and uh, like I said before, I, uh, I think treating this Dirk as related to the other Dirks, but his own thing is probably the best way to look at him. We sort of get a retcon in Salmon of That, which explains some of the uh, dream sequences and why the version we get in the TV show has sort of gone through something different to the 
what the guy in the comics went for, Dirk in the comics went through. Okay, uh, cool. I haven't so, haven't read that yet. So, without um, wanting to spoil it too much for yeah, this, but, um, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how that's handled and uh, revising my interpretation then. Right. Shall we do the final one then? So, Dirk reveals that as a child he had only one friend, Bart Kurlish. Dirk is tied to a target, and Bart is trying to shoot him with various weapons, but all of her shots miss despite her best efforts. Later, it's revealed that Dirk has dreams slash nightmares about the future, which he then recounts to Bart. Dirk expresses a desire to escape, but Bart assures Dirk that when it's time to leave, the doors will open by themselves. So, it's interesting. I almost forgotten that we get our first tease of Bart here, because it's not really a formal intro, because we're not even really told her name, I don't think. I like that you know, speech bubbles have a, a different font, which sort of gets over her more so... Gives her a slightly more sort of scratchy kind of voice. Well, is scratchy the right word? That it, that it, it's the sort of voice that you recognise from Fiona Darif's performance in the show. It does strike me that Bart not being able to hit Dirk, that feels more like they've switched around the traits that eventually went to Bart, because it's Bart who can't be hit in the show. And we see Dirk very much actually get hit a few times <laughs> in the, and injured. Yeah. But um, I, I took that as being that Bart specifically couldn't hit Dirk. Dirk couldn't be hurt at all case with Bart. My theory with this, though, like, this would be well before they actually had anything that they have in the TV show structured like that. They don't really have any of the powers outlined or anything like that. So my theory is that, like, the direction that they were originally going to go was essentially that, like, just because of the way that young Dirk is describing things, like the, um, in the dreams, I'm always a detective, and Bart asking, did you have another nightmare, all that, I think it'd be more of, he literally, and that, that combined with the whole, some nights that seems like I'm waiting for those doors to open, other times I know they never will, seems more of like, Dirk is permanently stuck in Blackwing, but at the same time, his dreams like send him places. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting theory. I guess it is the way it's written is very much open to interpretation. Can we talk about this last panel because it's a pretty interesting. In fact, I just noticed something about this last panel that we see the treehouse from the very first flashback in the background. So that makes me think that the three characters we saw in the start were actually the rowdy three, or at the very least, a sort of proto version of them. Yeah, that, that looks like the treehouse to me in the background. It does look like the treehouse, and then uh, two stories below the treehouse is the room with the screens and the spinning uh, attachment that Dirk was attached to. There's all sorts of interesting stuff here. There's like a chamber, there's a giant robot. <laughs> the giant robot, I was wondering if was uh, the a reference to Hitchhiker's uh, fact, but it's a very subtle. The, uh, the uh, frog star robot that... Uh, oh, yeah, the one uh, that Marvin faces off against. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> lo- logics to death by convincing him to shoot the floor out from under him. Should we just talk very quickly favourite lines? I've written uh, two here, because I talked about a couple already, but um, Dirk's line when Mad Luck is explaining his battle against illegal poachers which impresses Tamasha, and he's sort of like saying, like, oh, my, I'm trying to prevent the rhinos from being wiped out from these this illegal ring of poachers. It's really 
important this little in the dirk inter interjects very weak very meekly in very small font he says uh i have a cat <laughs> that's I his love that line <laughs> yeah I, I just love that dirk sort of almost trying to he, he's trying to one-up Madlock, but he can't because he doesn't have any kind of relationship to animals beyond that of his cat. <laughs> and uh, then there's um, the other the other sort of sequence of line, uh, really funny dialogue that stood out to me was the uh, during the sex scene when Tamasha is complaining to Madlock a, a little bit about the cliche of two attractive black people meet, so of course they have to hook up. And... <laughs> And, and also people. during that point, uh, I see why they call you Big Gun. That, that's a little, yeah, that's really cheesy. But... <laughs> the self awareness of uh, of them hooking up uh, that that observation, I enjoyed. Uh... I like how Madlux points out that hey, you know, in Ke it is like oh, you see this always on TV. The two black characters, of course, they have to hook up, and then Madlux said, well. You know, in Kenya, pretty much everyone on TV is black. So, which is <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't you really think that you wouldn't realize that. Or you wouldn't immediately think of that from a Western perspective. Those were the two uh, funny mo moments that really stu stuck out. Stuck out to me. I can't really think of that many more. I almost feel like it's the opposite problem to the previous one, where I was able to find a lot of individual lines. But the whole thing didn't work together as a cohesive whole, like you were saying, Nemo. Whereas this one, I felt it wasn't hugely laugh out loud funnier because the tone was a little bit different. There are a few more serious moments here, but I felt overall it worked more as a whole. Yeah, the the, the whole was greater than some of the parts. As you say, Kings had better individual lines, but as a sum, it was just well, that was a bunch of nice scenes that told a story, I guess. This was, oh, that was a good story. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, shall we get into references now? Lots of references in this comic, to be honest. So in the opening childhood flashback dream sequence, Dirk is playing poker for sweets against action figures of Marvin, the paranoid android from Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy, and Tom Baker's fourth Doctor from Doctor Who. You remember that? Doug Sams was script editor for one of Tom Baker's later series in, in the late 1970s and wrote a couple of stories for Doctor Who. Uh, also, Optimus Prime from Transformers is, <laughs> is on the toys, and also there's a stuffed elephant, which sort of hints to Dirk talking to the elephant a bit later in the uh, present day. And Dirk also has posters of Sherlock Holmes and Dracula on his wall. So, yeah, they're definitely going uh, full in on the whole vampire thing in these early ones. Uh, Dirk has helped uh, Sally Mills, the hot nurse from Long Dark Tea Time, to get a job at Woods Head Hospital, as I mentioned earlier. Dirk drives a car which looks like 1970s Austin Leyland Princess that Stephen Mangan's Dirk drove in the BBC4 TV series. Dirk asks Sally whether the Kingdom Browns recite stock market prices or mimetically repeat everything Dustin Hoffman says. This is a reference to two of the Woods Head patients from Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. When Sally doesn't recognise these references, Dirk explains that they were before your time during the period before Sally worked at Woodshead. Uh, Dirk says, not again, when one looking at Browns punches him in the nose. This happened to him before in Long Dark Tea Time. When Dirk first begins following Tamasha at random, he hides behind the hot black Desiato residential consultants, a real-life estate agent in Islington, where Douglas Adams got the name for the front man of the band, Disaster area in restaurant at the end of the universe. The, that's Hot Blank Desiato, who has been dead for tax reasons. 
if you're at a zero room bed. I want to afford to best mate. I do want to um, point out real quick, Ed, uh, going back to that first chapter, I noticed that in the panel where he is falling out of the treehouse, you can actually see a brick wall to the side there that correlates with the uh, Blackwing building there. So, oh, yeah. And another reason I definitely was convinced it was the Rowdy Free because of these sort of little trails coming off him, like they can smell his psychic energy or whatever, which is what the Rowdy Free feed off of, obviously. And they can sense it in Dirk because of who he is, because he has the, because he is, you know, the holistic detective, he has that. And that has those psychic powers. That that's what uh, when he's really scared and stuff. That's what attracts the Rowdy Three to to him. Yeah, because they are going straight for the nose too. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. hadn't noticed that before. But I am noticing that in that panel, Dirk is hanging there upside down. They're sucking his psychic energy from him, and he has the empty speech bubbles. He's he's speechless from that scene, which is a reference oh. forward to uh, this this uh, whole plot. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh, it's amazing. It actually does foreshadow a couple of things later. And, uh, annoying that I didn't spot those earlier because it actually <laughs> makes you realize there's actually a really good opening scene. Um, Tamasha mentions that she was referred to Dirk by Richard and Susan McDuff from the Derek James' Tate Divinity book, who have since got married. Susan also shows up at Woodshead to play the cello to the Kingdom Browns. On the airplane, when the quote unquote waitress threatens to cut Dirk's heart out with a spoon. Dirk thinks to himself, anyone who quotes Alan Rickman couldn't be all evil. This is a reference to the 1991 film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, in which Alan Rickman, Sheriff of Nottingham, threatens to do this to Robin Hood. <laughs> Why a spoon? Well, because it's dull. It'll make it hurt longer. <laughs> Give the explanation there. Um, Dirk dresses up as Lawrence of Arabia when he first meets Dr. Madluck. Incorrect cultural appropriation, which the Doctor finds insulting and demands that they remove. The Moot Nakawa tribe sings Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out, a 1923 blues song by Jimmy Cox, although the song is probably better known for today for the cover version performed by Eric Clapton. Susan plays The Rain, Rain of Every Day from William Shakespeare's play Twelfth Night on a cello to the King of Browns. Dirk uses a piano to play Hakuna Matata from The Lion King to the Nakawa tribe. The dimension tra- traveling through the nasal membrane of the rhinoceros is sort of a reference to Last Chance to See, which intimately describes the uh, nasal membranes of the rhinoceros and how rhinoceroses see time differently. And if time is one of the dimensions, then it would sort of make sense. Maybe that's how fourth dimensional beings would use it. That, that was my sort of thinking. It's not. Yeah, that, it's there's, there's, a, there's a good logic there. Yeah. During Dirk's holistic interrogation, <laughs> funnily enough, is the name of our interview show as well, which uh, when we did the interview with Sally Ann Rafferty, uh, play director, uh, which you should listen to if you haven't already. Several, several of the questions he asks are references to other entries in the Adams verse. Dirk asks them, what is the significance of 42, which is an obvious reference to Hitchhikers, where the supercomputer Deep Thought comes up with 42 as the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Why have you possessed this man and why? I think that's a misprint because it should be either how have you possessed this man and why, or why have you possessed this man and how, because then otherwise he's just, ans- he's just asking the same question twice. I feel like that would be something that Dirk would do, though. Oh, that's true, actually. 
Uh, it's an almost direct line from Dirk in Holistic Detective Agency. He asked these blanksy possessing Michael Wenton Weeks. He asked him the same thing, I think. Then there's how many stones are there on the beaches in Wales, which is a reference to Long Dark Teatum of the Soul, where this is the punishment given by Odin to four, where he has to count the exact number, and four gets very protective when Kate asks how many there are that you've had. He's no, I'm not telling anyone. I went through all that effort. I'm keeping it to myself. When Dirk states, I have some experience with creatures that steal from you, that leave you drained of yourself, he's again referring to the Slaxian ghost from holistic detective agency i enjoyed the references in general they didn't dominate the story so uh that's the sort of references i enjoy where it's it's uh it's there for the fans without disrupting the story and you don't need to know it for the story to work yeah i feel like if you didn't know who sally mills was you didn't know who susan was but they sort of explain enough for you to get it whereas with kate in interactable kings she just shows up and I think that's where the dirt narration is used quite well to sort of fill in people. I felt like this is a way better starting point than Kings for people who may be just getting into these comics. You guys, uh, final thoughts on Spin Too Short? Dalek, because you were still not keen on it? Or have, you, have we changed your mind and <laughs> joined you to our side a little bit? I still do think that Kings was better, but I also think that my opinion would probably be different if it weren't for the fact that I read this at like 1am and fell asleep like twice during it because <laughs> I was just tired. Uh, fair enough. Um, again, I'm really sorry about waking you up in the middle of the night. <laughs> no, you didn't wake me up. I've stayed up. Okay. Because um... if I fell asleep, I'm not waking back. This is the second um, comic I've read in the Dark Gently universe, and uh, I must say, this one was worlds better than King's. I wasn't really a fan of King's, so I never even finished it. Um, but this one, in the beginning, it was quite slow, and in the end, it was a bit too fast. Um, it kind of rushed over a few things. Um, but, but, yeah, but it, it kept me invested, though, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely, in a way that King's never managed to do. So yeah, I would say yeah, definitely worth read, definitely worth a buy. Yeah, I I would I would absolutely agree with Kane there that this was a really enjoyable read. Um, I absolutely recommend that if uh, if somebody wants more Dirk, that this is a Dirk that's worth reading. Uh, the because chronologically within Dirk's own timeline, this is set before Kings. I kind of retroactively wish that this had been the first one published as as it is and then followed Dirk's story chronologically and tell the story of Kings, but with the experience of having created this and, and with uh, the, the story of Kings, but created by the people that were you know, David and uh, the uh, who wrote this. He didn't write Interconnected of Kings, if I recall. It was Chris uh, so Riddle, I, yeah, who did that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I feel like the, the story of Kings wasn't the problem. It was in the telling. And this has a better story, but also better telling. And if... If the comics had been chronological to Dirk's personal life, then this, then Kings, but told by David, could have been a really fantastic uh, pair of comics. But uh, but as it is, Kings came out first. It's Kings is enjoyable, but skippable. Spoon Too Short is fantastic. Go read it. Absolutely agree. I really enjoyed Spoon Too Short. I I think it holds up a little better not just because there are references to things that you know we later later get paid off a bit more in the show 
I think it, I think it holds up better because the story is a bit more ambitious because uh, the concept was a little bit better realized. It feels a little bit less generic than Interconnected Four Kings. I, I think it starts off a little slow. Uh, and I, I sort of like that, though. It's a slower burn story where gradually things get crazier and crazier. In Kings, by about the end of Chapter 2, things are already getting out of hand. The mummies are draining people left and right. And the serial killers are on the move and targeting Hamish and whatever. But, um, whereas here whereas here we sort of... We, we don't meet... Because we don't meet the aliens, who are the closest things to a villain that the story has until so late on in chapter four and for me that generally works to the story strength even if it means that the alien the interdimensional poachers aren't as well developed as maybe they could have been i felt that wasn't really the focus of the story so it didn't bother me too much um i think there are one or two problems like that you say the the biggest one would probably be the use of Af- aphrodisiacs as <laughs> during the uh, sex scene to attract the poachers to then lecture them about not to use humans as aphrodisiacs, which is a uh, seems like huge hypocrisy. I feel like they really built on what what worked about interconnectedness, look at the strengths of that story and that we saw during those comics. And yeah, it really felt feels like in 2016 the comics are starting to find their voice, just as the show's about to start as well. It felt it was it was really you know exciting time back then because suddenly there's these two sources of Dirk Gently that people had to to look forward to. And uh, we'll move on to the next one next time, which is obviously the TV show we're doing, the first episode, which is New Horizons. And it's obviously something that everyone's been really excited about. And finally, we've, we've got there. So the podcast uh, website is dirtgentlypodcast.wordpress.com, where we have a, a form where you can fill in to email us and ask us about anything, be it the, the audio drama, be it the, that I'm doing be it the, being a guest on the podcast for any of the TV show episodes, because I know lots of people are excited to to get to those episodes, and now you won't have to wait much longer. But um, as well as that, we uh, we have several different uh, other channels you can contact us on. I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Edward J. Hunter, and Nemo is on there too. Give, give the address, Nemo. I'm on Twitter as uh, Subitha, S-U-B. S U B underscore T T E H R E T H R sub ether like like a like the sub ethernet yeah uh, um Dalek uh, you own the Arsenal's Discord server Arsenal's and the accompanying Discord server the Reddit subreddit and I don't think we've ever given Nemo any credit for also moderating the oh. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm. Uh, it's. I'm. I'm also one of the editors. Yeah, and you're the casting director uh, well, for my audio drama as well. So fingers in all the pies. Um, <laughs> and finally, on all the things. Yeah. So Kane, um, is there anything you want to link to? Because you last time you talked about uh, the um, the thing that you and Joe do, isn't it? The uh, every mistake. Okay. Well, we'll we'll just tie up then. So, thanks for listening to our podcast on a spoon too short. Next time we'll be doing 
the first episode of the 2016 BBC America slash Netflix television show uh, New Horizons, episode one. So uh, you'll be revisiting all the old uh, favourite characters and our first formal introduction to them, even though a couple of them are teased in the comics. But yeah, it's very, it's going to be, it's going to be very exciting. Can't wait to talk about it. So uh, join us then. But for now, goodbye from me and goodbye from my uh, free avocado. So see you later. Bye for now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.